0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Praise the Lord for worship. That was such an awesome time in His presence. We're going to continue worshiping with our minds and our hearts as we study His Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and we will read through 20. And the Word of God says to us this morning, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised both And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and with your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again to talk about sexual immorality, Lord, we know that you have a message for your church, and Lord, we know that one day you desire to come and and receive to yourself a pure bride, and Lord, you have provided your holy word to us as a church, Lord, that we might be sanctified and washed and renewed in our minds, Lord. Lord, that we might be given that opportunity to be convicted and to come clean and to find uh, or to confess sin and to repent and turn away, Lord, and to do those things which you desire that we would do. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy this morning as well, new every day. And we just ask and pray today, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and be with us and that you would, uh, Lord, accomplish your purposes Through the word of God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, if you missed a week or two thinking, man, I just want to get through this section, guess what? You didn't make it long enough. (laughs) You got to skip three, four weeks, you know, I'm a slow teacher. So we're still in this section, guys, but it's okay. The Lord has got a plan, I know he does, and the word of God is so powerful and is so good, it never returns empty. Whatever we talk about here in the Word of God, it's, it's good for us. And it's good for us to hear it, and it's good for us to be reminded of these things. Well, the theme that Paul is getting across to us today is that we're to honor God with our bodies. Our bodies have meaning in the eternal scheme of things, in the eternal plan of God. Your physical body, yes, that body that God has given to you, He has plans for that body. And so knowing that, Paul is teaching us that, hey, in all things, we're to honor him with our bodies, and especially as it refers to sexual immorality and our human sexuality. Now, as about a, of about a decade ago, in the United States, there were about three tanning salons to every Starbucks coffee house. There might be more than that here in Paris. I'm not sure, but I haven't counted all of them. But it is estimated that around 2.3 million teenagers enter those salons per year, which, of course, has made the tanning uh, business about $5 billion a year industry. Now, at the same time, there's an alarming statistic that has grown alongside of that, and that is that one of the worst kinds of skin cancer, melanoma, now shows up, since 1975, has now doubled in women between the ages of 15 to 29 that are living in the United States. What is the motive behind all of this tanning? Well, according to one teenage girl who was interviewed by Time magazine, she stated this. She said, all girls who are really tanned all throughout the year, they're the popular girls, and guys are always complimenting girls on their tans. Another girl who visits her tanning salon several times a week said this, it may make my skin wrinkle a little bit earlier, but I'm going to look good while I can. Well, that's an example, isn't it, of how short-term pleasure leads to long-term disaster. And nowhere is this more true than when it comes to sexual immorality. For a few minutes of pleasure, think about it, a few minutes of pleasure, so many men and women will throw their lives away. Whether it is through an illicit online relationship, or or whether it's pornography, or whether it's an adulterous affair, Satan has been so effective in hurting people, destroying families and lives with the help of the lust of the flesh. His lie is that short-term pleasure is all that matters in the long term. But the Bible teaches that to compromise on morals will soon lead to long-term disaster. And when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to fulfilling the desires that we all have, we have to realize some truths and apply them. And that's what Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. He wants us to know that our body is linked to eternity. So let's begin with our first point, and that is the Corinthian church's position. As we read there in verse 12, uh, what we're really reading there is uh, a theological statement that was going around in the church in Corinth. Now, let me back up a moment and just remind you guys that the context for the city of Corinth, it's an immoral place. It's a place uh, that we would definitely say was a sensual culture. There was a lot of sexual immorality running rampant throughout the community. Uh, and it was, it was a place that, you know, uh, to see a prostitute was, you know, it was very commonplace and 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 to join yourself to a, a prostitute was also considered uh, something that was cultural okay so uh, there's a lot of things that they were battling there in the church but but Paul uh, had been in the church in Corinth there for about a year and a half of his life on his missionary journey and he had taught them during that year and a half uh, a lot of things one of the things that it seemed that he had taught them about was about Christian liberty And he had taught them that basically they were allowed to do anything. In other words, all things are lawful, as the New King James Version puts it. But Paul had not expected the Corinthian church to take his words and to develop this theological slogan and begin to apply it to other areas of life, including sexuality, Okay, and, and so what Paul had taught them, they had kind of taken and grasped, and they were now using this as a basis uh, to, to do the things that they were doing. So in their pride and in their worldly wisdom, they had taken this Paul's teaching and made it this theological slogan and began to live by it in, in all areas of their life, but especially as it concerned their sexuality. The second position that we should note about the Corinthian church was that they were saying that natural appetites should naturally be satisfied. Notice verse 13 with me. In verse 13, they said, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Pause right there. That's the Corinthian church position. So 12a, the first part, all things are lawful for me. That was their position, coupled together with, Hey, foods for the stomach and the stomach's for foods. And so they were using this idea, these ideas, and that's what they were basing their argument for uh, sexuality on. They said, hey, the stomach is for food, the food for stomach. Therefore, it follows that the body is for sex, and sex is for the body. Now, you might not have expected this today, but you're going to get a little bit of a literature lesson alongside of your Bible study. Paul is using a figure of speech in these verses from verses 12 to the end of the chapter, he uses this figure of speech three times, and that's why I want to teach it to you today, because it's very pertinent to how Paul is teaching these principles. He's using a figure of speech that uh, was very uh, common and, and in his writing style, was also common in Hebrew and Greek cultures, and it was called a chiasmus, a chiasmus. Very commonly used. Again, if you've been studying with us on the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, we come across chiasmus all the time. But what is a chiasmus? Well, it's a figure of speech in which two or more phrases are presented to the reader or the hearer and then presented again in reverse order in order to make a larger point. And people diagram a chiasmus with the clauses labeled in the form of a to b and then b to a so that is not that group abba but it's the chiasmus okay we're thinking chiasmus here point a is to b as b is to a and the emphasis there being so that he can teach a point so for example let me let me outline that for you the chiasmus number 1 it would be food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Food would be A, the stomach would be B. So you see the pattern, A to B, and then B to A. And then Paul wraps that up, and he says, but God will destroy both the one, the stomach, referring to the stomach, and the other, food. So the Corinthian position, in summary, is they were saying, hey, since God will one day eliminate the flesh and its desires, why not treat sex like food and when and indulge with the prostitutes? whenever it's convenient. So now we come to point number two on our outlines, if you're following along, and that is that the Apostle Paul's counter-argument. What does Paul have to say about these theological slogans that these prideful Corinthians were throwing around and using as an excuse? Well, Paul's argument in, in, in 12b is that, yes, but... Not all things edify. If you look at verse 12 again, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, yes, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So in other words, Paul is, is, is giving us a word here about Christian liberty. He's clarifying it. He's saying, yes, you have Christian liberty. He's not denying that fact. But, he says, it was never intended to be used for sex. It was never intended to be used as an excuse to practice sexual immorality or sex outside of marriage. We've talked about sexual immorality several times throughout the last weeks. The Greek word is pornia. We might say that in our culture today, instead of visiting the prostitutes, We might plug pornography into that, okay? Pornography is what is run rampant in our society and culture today. Visiting a pornography site would be like visiting a prostitute, sort of in in the same context there in Corinth. But Paul is saying, listen, so all things are edifying. Yes, for the Christian, we have liberty in Christ. Jesus Christ has truly set us free from sin and from death, but not everything is going to edify. What does he mean by that? Well, he's teaching us that Christian liberty is never to be used as a selfish, in a selfish way, to put yourself above somebody else. Christian liberty was never meant to be something that you claimed your rights and then clung to them even at the expense of hurting somebody else. So Christian liberty was meant to be uh, something that set the church free, really, to edify others. In other words, Christian liberty, what Paul is saying about Christian liberty, it's not to be exercised in a selfish way, to do whatever I most want, but rather I am to do, I'm going to use my Christian liberty to do what's best for the whole. What is best for the whole here? Not just myself, but my wife, my children, and not just them, but the body of Christ as a whole. My brother, my sister, I'm to take them into view as well when I'm practicing my Christian liberty. We'll learn in another passage here in the book of Corinthians that love is the rule for Christian liberty. Love, brotherly love, is to, uh, you know, to put the boundaries on our Christian liberty. But secondly, there, Paul also makes an argument in verse 13. He says, Yeah, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And it's true that God will both destroy it and them. What he means by that is is not that it's going to be completely eliminated, but that Our need for those things is going to be eliminated. So when we receive our immortal bodies, when we receive our resurrected bodies in the future, we're not going to have the same need for food that you and I have today. Now today, we need food, don't we? Just try and go without it for a day. Okay, We will moan and cry and grumble and complain because we love food. But there's come in a day, church, when we're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus, we know, in his immortal body, while he enjoyed food and ate food, he didn't need food. And the stomach, somehow, is not going to be in the process. That we're not going to be eliminating waste in these immortal bodies. I don't understand it. I just accept it. It's amazing. It's going to be an awesome thing when we get there. Uh, but, but Paul says... But don't make the mistake of taking this too far. Paul interjects there in verse 13. He says, he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So Paul says, hold on a second, guys. Yeah, the thing about food in your stomach, that part's true, but you're taking it too far. And, and you're applying it now also to your human sexuality. Whoa, that's too far. And, and he says, listen, the body has not been made for sexual immorality. And this is where Paul gets into his second chiasmus. His second chiasmus here is that he says, the body is for the Lord. Now, between that phrase, we know that he interjects there, it's not for sexual immorality. Okay, So he puts, the body is for the Lord, and the, the Lord is for the body. And then the second part of that chiasmus is that, God has both raised, or God both has raised the Lord and he will raise us by his power. So there's this same sort of chiasmus that linking together of these phrases, the, the body and the Lord and then the Lord and the body and then he says that the, the God has raised the Lord and he's going to raise us. And so Paul's using this figure of speech to make an airtight argument to the church in Corinth that, look, you guys have taken this too far. That's not what God intended for your bodies. His third part, his third counter-argument comes from the, 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 the standpoint that our body becomes a part of Jesus Christ. Check out verse 15 with me. Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So Paul is actually taking a line from Genesis there. There in the very beginning, when God created man and woman and he ordained the very first marriage ceremony and, and, and Adam and Eve came together and they became one flesh through sexual intimacy. And that's, how, uh, that, that's what ha- is happening. When two people have sex, there's no such thing as a casual sexual relationship. There's no such thing as a casual sexual encounter for the Christian and, and and that's because, and even for the non-christian because God has made us in his image and and when we come together and share that sexual intimacy Paul is saying look you actually you give a piece of yourself away to that person and they give a piece of themselves to you and you actually become one flesh emotionally well physically emotionally and spiritually in that moment and so that's why it's so uh, heavy. And he's teaching here. And then in verse 17 he says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So in, in these verses, Paul is giving us the third chiasmus. The third chiasmus in his teaching to us today. And that is that he's saying their bodies are members of Christ's bodies. That's the first part, A. Therefore, they may not be members of it prostitute's. That's B. Joined to a prostitute, there's the B again, they they become one body with her, and joined to Christ, they become one spirit with him. So Paul, again, using that figure of speech, the chiasmus, to build an airtight argument, to show the relationship, and to teach the Corinthian church that their body has become one with Christ. Therefore, it's impossible for them to be uniting themselves to prostitutes. It doesn't add up. It's not compatible. It should not be it should not happen through the resurrection of jesus christ church we are linked in a very real way to the lord just as his body has been changed guess what we too are to expect the same thing we're we're to expect we're, we're to understand that our body this physical body that we've been given hey it's coming with us In a certain sense. Now, it's not going to have the imperfections. It's not going to have the lusts. It's not going to have all of those things when we're transformed into our eternal bodies. But Paul is saying, listen, you've got to understand this, church. In a very real sense, your body that you have right now, how you treat it, how you take care of it, how you uh, engage in and indulge in sexual practices, it's important. It matters. In the light of eternity. Get that. Grasp that. That's what he wants us to see. That's what he's teaching us. That just as the body of Jesus Christ was transformed and became his body in eternity, so too your body will be transformed and taken into your eternal state. Now, this is speculation on my part, but I believe that I'm going to have the body of a 28-year-old. Okay? Not, not this body. Okay, but it'll be, you know, it'll be that body of a twenty-eight year, you know, whatever our peak physical condition is, and, and and whatever, you know, is is the best looking that we ever were. You know, now people are going to be able to recognize us. People are going to know that it's us. You know, I, I do believe that babies that were taken, uh, you know, home to be with the Lord, we're gonna we're gonna recognize them somehow, but they're going to be in a a an adult body. Uh, and, 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 and just the peak state of whatever, peak condition of whatever that adult body is. That's, that's my speculation, okay? That's what I think. I'm grasping as I study the Scriptures. But, hey, that's not Scripture, so don't quote me on it, all right? And, and, uh, but we can talk about that. But it's exciting when you begin to think about the, the eschatological uh, uh, possibilities of, of the church, the future, guys, the prophetic future of the church, you and me. We have a future. This body. That we're tied to now. Hey, we shouldn't mistreat it. We shouldn't be, uh, you know, doing whatever with it and, and treating it like, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, something that could, that we can abuse. We've got to recognize. That ties back into what Paul was talking about when all things are lawful for me. Well, yeah, you might have the liberty to chew tobacco. But if chewing tobacco is dominating you, then that's where it becomes a problem. That's where it becomes an issue. And not just chewing tobacco, tanning, uh, uh, this, this idea that, man, i got to have a beer when I get home from work. If these things are dominating your life, hey, Paul says, wait a second, it's lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. That's an important point, guys. So we need to ask ourselves, can I let something go? Am I able to let go of something, or is this thing controlling me? Because you know what so often ends up happening, guys, in our lives is we think we got control of it. We think that we can do it. We're just like the prideful Corinthians. We think, oh, I got this. This is not an issue for me. This is not a problem. I can't even believe Phil's up there talking about it right now. But this is not an issue for me. And then, well, if it's not an issue, then let it go. Can you stop doing that for two weeks, a month, a week, one day? Can you give it up? Can you stop? Well, if you can, then then it probably is not dominating you. But you should try it. And you might be surprised at how much is dominating your life. Listen, guys, we need to take these things seriously. But Paul is really relating this to the sexual life that we have. And he's saying we really need to take that seriously. And, And our third point this morning is Paul now takes his teaching... Those three chiasmuses that he's given us. And now he, he says, here's how you're going to apply that. There's a negative and a positive application of, of the, his teaching. His negative application is that we're to flee sexual immorality. Look at verse 18 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, interesting here, that word flee in the Greek language is fugo, fugo, and uh, I just like, to me, that just sounds like fool, go, okay, so that's how I read that, you know, as I was studying that and looking at that in the Greek language, fool, go, okay, flee just means fool, get up and go, you need to run, you need to get out, you need to just not even be there, fool, go, okay, so Flee, sexual immorality, you got a little Greek, Greek lesson, fugo, fool go, okay? We'll just tie that all together for you. But he says the reason for that is every sin a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So the seriousness of sexual immorality is again underscored in this verse. Paul reminds us that a few seconds of pleasure is just not worth the lasting damage that will be done. In his book about spiritual warfare, The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, he writes this from the perspective of the Lord of the Demons, from Satan's perspective. Satan is speaking to his demons in in the book, and he says this, The truth is that wherever a man lies with a woman, there... Whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. Wow, that is heavy. That's a heavy statement when you think about that. (laughs) You see, God has created our bodies. He has given us our sexuality. He created sex as a good thing. And something to be enjoyed within the confines and the boundaries that God has placed upon it. He created you and me in his image. And he wants only good things for us. But when we allow Satan to pervert what God has created for good. Guess what? It begins to destroy us on so many different levels. It begins to become something that is either eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. What do I mean? What does he mean by eternally enjoyed? Well, he's talking about with your marriage partner, with that husband or wife that God has brought into your life. That sexual relationship is meant to be eternally enjoyed. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that the marriage bed is holy. It's a good thing. And it's to be wonderfully exercised and practiced within that marriage. But then outside of those boundaries, outside of that marriage relationship, it becomes something that is eternally endured in the sense that it stays with you. And, and, and we, we know that that is certainly true. Those images, those memories, those moments that scar and, and create baggage and cause problems in our present relationships. Sin against one's own body is seen. In the physical realm, through unplanned pregnancies and STDs, we all know the problems that are related to those things. When we practice sex with multiple partners, there's a very real danger of these things. Not to mention the violation of conscience, and that's where we get into the spiritual realm. You see, when we practice this sexual immorality outside of marriage, when, when we practice sex outside of marriage, we begin hurting the Lord. We hurt the Lord. Think about that for a moment today. You know, so often in our relationship with God, we're so concerned with how we're doing, right? We're so concerned about us, and the focus is all on us, and are we blessed, and do we feel good? But think about this. How does God feel when we turn our backs on Him? And unite ourselves. We take what he's, that relationship he's given us, and we actually allow ourselves, we, we, we deny him as Lord, and we place a prostitute as the Lord of our lives. Or we place an illicit relationship as Lord over our lives. Men, I'm gonna say this this morning because I think this is something that, that can really help us to understand when you or I view pornographic images, we're worshiping the enemy. Think about that. Think about that. And, and I know that that's not just a problem that is relegated to the the, the the male sex. Women as well need to hear that and understand pornography is from the enemy. It's uniting your heart, mind, and soul with that image and with that whatever's happening there, and it is something that is tearing you down. It is a form of worship of the enemy. Think about that. Think about that. It's a sin against our own body. And and remember, that body that we have is united to Jesus Christ. And so how can we dare to take Jesus Christ into that kind of an illicit relationship and deny him as Lord and place that as the Lord of our lives? That's what Paul's talking about. Perhaps there's no scripture that's clearer about the physical and spiritual effects of sexual immorality than Psalm chapter 32. Would you turn to Psalm chapter 32 in your Bible this morning? Psalm chapter 32 was written by David, King David, after he had fallen into sin, sexual immorality with Bathsheba. And he writes there in verse 3, he says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Can you picture the pain there? Can you picture the distress, the emotional agony? I can. I understand Sin, He says in verse four, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then it says, Selah, or interlude. David is expressing there the very real physical and spiritual state in which he finds himself after falling in adultery with Bathsheba. And, and he's saying, "I refused to confess my sin, and my body was wasting away." He says, "I was groaning all day long, and 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 it came from that that knowledge that he had sinned against him, his Lord, and sinned against his brother." It says, "Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me." Have you ever experienced the discipline of the Lord? Man, that is it, such a heavy feeling, isn't it? It's such a it's such a Man, Lord, I, I, I gotta confess this. I need to make this right. His strength was evaporating like the summer heat, and, and that's that's the picture there in Psalm chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. Paul gives the positive application back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, so keep your figure in Psalm 32, because we're gonna come back to there at the end of our study. But he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know? that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So there's the positive application. We're to flee one thing, but ever and always, as it is in Christianity, guys, what we put off, hey, we're not to just leave that empty. We're to occupy our attention and our focus and our energy in putting on something that God has for us. You see, the Christian life is not just a a life of abstinence. It's a life of running to the Lord and putting on the things that he has for you. I'm sorry, uh, abstaining from something. Abstinence is a good thing uh, if you're not married. Uh, But then, then it is a life of putting on or doing this. So he says, honor God with your body. That's what we're to do. Paul is wanting the Corinthians to understand is that their bodies are a good thing. Your body is a good thing. God has given you your body. It's it's a beautiful part of his creation. It's good because God created it. But you are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. So your body does not belong to you alone in a selfish, self-centered way. You know, uh, instead, your body belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you with his blood, and now his Holy Spirit lives in your heart. What a beautiful picture. Therefore, the body of the believer now is to be dedicated to him, is to be presented to God for his service, presented to God just as the Lord is for our body. Through the resurrection of Christ, our physical bodies are linked to this eternal being that will one day be in God's presence. Now, in light of that, Paul exhorts us, he commands us, honor God with your body. There was a little boy who purchased a kit to make a sailboat, a model sailboat, and he put it together there in his room and meticulously painted that sailboat and sealed it and made it so it could float and, and it could work. And it was a, just a good little sailboat. And he took that boat out all excited one day and brought it down to the shore of a lake where he decided he would let it go to sail a bit. And as he let it out there on the water, he realized that he had really made it too good. That it was floating and that it was, the the sails were filling with little puffs of wind and that boat began to get away from him and it got out on the lake beyond where he could reach it, beyond where he could get to it. And he lost that boat, sailed away from him. Well, as he went home, sad, you know, tears in his eyes, his mom had asked him, well, what happened? And he shared the story with her and she said, maybe it'll come back to you someday, maybe you'll find it. So that little boy would go back to the lake on a regular basis and he would walk the shoreline there to see if his boat had showed up. Well, one day as he was walking along the shore, he was looking at some of the vendor's wares that happened to be set up there along the shore as well of that lake. And he noticed his model sailboat there in the window of one of those vendors. He was filled with excitement and joy. He ran inside, he picked it up off the shelf, and he kissed it, and he was so excited to see it, and he was walking out the door when the shopkeeper said, hey, son, where are you going with that boat? And, and he said, oh, sir, you don't understand, this is mine, I, I made this in my room, and I remember painting it, see, here's my initials, and, and this is my boat. And, and the shopkeeper said, well, I, I don't, I don't, there's no way I can know that that's your boat, you're, you'll have to pay for it if you're going to walk out of this store with it. Well, the little boy didn't have the money to be able to pay for the boat, and so brokenhearted, he put it back there on the shelf in the window. But he noted what the price was, and he went and worked until he had the money, and one day was able to go back to that store, and he bought that boat, and, and he was holding it in his hands, and as he was holding it there, the shopkeeper heard him say, You're my boat. You're twice mine. First You're my boat because I made you. And second, you're my boat because I bought you. You know, that's what the Lord has done with you. The Lord God is the one that made you. He created your body. He created your body and he knows its proper limits. He knows what it's designed for. And he created you good. And he created marriage to be between a man and a woman as the relationship in which sex is to flourish and be a good thing. But not only that, he also gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to pay for your sins and to purchase your life with his blood. So if you're a Christ follower, you're twice his this morning. Your body is the Lord's, and the Lord is for your body. Short-term pleasure brings long-term disaster. Therefore, we need to flee sexual immorality and honor God with our bodies. But let's go back to Psalm 32 as I close this morning because David, he reminds us that most of us, like David, have fallen in some way in sexual sin, in sexual immorality. But I want to read the whole psalm to you because it's so insightful. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose heart and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Praise the Lord for that verse right there. Amen. You see, the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is that we're twice His. He shed His blood to cleanse us and to forgive us from unrighteousness and from sin. And so if we'll confess our transgressions to the Lord in this area of our bodies, hey, the Lord will forgive the iniquity of our sin. And it says in verse 6, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Let's pray.